Hey, y'all. From NPR, I'm Sam Sanders. It's been a minute. Today on the show, Jordan Klepper. He is the host of Comedy Central's The Opposition. You may know Klepper as a former correspondent for The Daily Show with Jon Stewart. Jordan left The Daily Show to start The Opposition last year. On that show, he plays this conspiracy theory-minded character. The character was initially made in the spirit of Alex Jones and Infowars, always railing against these unseen powers and cultural forces that he thinks are ruining America. Here's a clip. I don't need to tell you this, but the most persecuted group in America is... (laughs) Exactly. Unanimous. Men. (laughs) We men have never been more under attack than we are right now because we used to not be under attack at all. But suddenly, frothing feminists are forcing men to make the same amount of money as women and demanding men stop shouting compliments at them on the street. (laughs) Where am I supposed to shout? In a library? That's illegal. (laughs) Equality is just a dirty word for making me less special. And that, that I will fight. That was Jordan Klepper in character on The Opposition. Fun fact, last year before The Opposition launched, I talked to Jordan for an early beta version of this podcast. You may have heard it in NPR One. And at that time, Jordan had just put out this special kind of spoofy documentary he had done for Comedy Central at the time. It's called Jordan Klepper Solves Guns. So it was very cool to get back together with him and talk about how the first year of his show was going so far. The advice he's gotten from Jon Stewart and his successor, Trevor Noah, and also to hear a bit more about how Jordan grew up in Kalamazoo, Michigan. All right, here's me with Jordan Klepper in our Culver City studios. So, the last time we talked, you were getting ready to launch your show. Yes. It has been launched. Consider it out yeah. into the world. On a scale of one to, oh my God, why did I do this? How are things going? Uh... I'm, I'm going to put it at a level of, dear Lord, I did this. Okay. Whoa. Which is... In a good way. In a good way. Okay. But also a decent amount of, dear God, why did I do this? That's, 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 I understand that scale. Yeah. I think not until you're in the mix do you fully get how chaotic and wild it is to, to helm a show day in and day out for a daily type show. So I think like it is a total blast, but it... It sucks up every part of your life immediately. Yeah. And I had heard that a little bit beforehand. Uh-huh. Uh, but it's funny, as I've gone back and like talked to Trevor about it, I'm like, this, it's kind of crazy. He's like, oh, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Didn't I let you know? I'm like, not really. <laughs> like, we joked about, like, oh, yeah, this, it's, <laughs> yeah, it will destroy your life. That, that was said in jest, but you're like, oh, I see how that could happen. Yeah. Again, I couldn't be more fortunate. It's also like the best thing, but it's uh-huh. it's a wild ride. Yeah. What what's been the most surprising part of all of the work for you? What is the one thing that you had no idea was going to be part of this? I think as far as the work goes, it's wrapping your head around being the boss. Like hmm. I am you know, I've I've been writing comedy, doing comedy, pitching TV shows, performing for 15 years. So that part takes some learning, and we're getting better and better with that. But that part, I felt like I had the skill sets for it. The thing that I hadn't really done has been a boss and know how to run a you know an office of 70 people. That's uh, a lot of people. And so I think like it's an interesting thing because I'm the only. People who I've seen do something like this are Trevor and John, and it's. I love how first name basis you are with oh, these like, titans of comedy. These titans of comedy, but it, but it is a it's 
but quickly it's like, oh, how do you how do you run a room? What do these meetings feel like? Mm-hmm. It's like I have a very small um, experience base to pull that from. And in in reality, there's not a, a gajillion late night shows to pull those things from. But yeah. it's like quickly it's like, oh, what kind of a boss am I going to be? How do I make this more efficient? Because if you can save 20 minutes in one meeting, that gives you 20 extra minutes on a rewrite, gives you the ability to get ahead for the next day. Like those seconds count. And so that's been the fun new part that I didn't give much thought to beforehand. Yeah. What kind of boss are you? Are you the, like, I hear you kind of boss? Are you the shut up when I'm talking kind of boss? Are you the silent? Like, what, like what's your boss aesthetic? I think I think aesthetically, uh-huh. I'm, I'm improv teacher boss. Because I right. was literally an improv teacher There's for that. years. Yeah. And so I think I am the kind of person who's like, talk to me about what your idea is. Let's build off of the, this idea and grow. And that... That's for part of the day uh, uh-huh. in the brainstorming part. Mm-hmm. Then it's the other kind of boss where you're like, all right, let's set some parameters. Let's make some decisions. Let's mm-hmm. get a little bit tougher here and there. And so you know, I'm, 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 I'm trying to get my, my mean boss face on. You got to uh, do it. You don't seem mean. I don't know if I'm inherent. I think I'm, I'm still kind of Midwestern nice. Yeah. I mean, trust me, I can be a terrible person deep down, <laughs> but I'm not going to let people see that and use yes, it against me. exactly. Improv at your college, Kalamazoo College. Yeah. The theme song is, it's Friday night, and it's time for the Monka Paul show. Was that See, it? I don't, re- I don't remember a full-on theme song. I've heard, and I know you have some inside insight I do. on Monka so, Paul yes. song. Full disclosure, listeners, my uh, cubicle mate and colleague, Melissa Kuypers, went to college with Jordan, and she gave me some intel on his improv group and taught me those two lines of the improv song. It, it the group was Monkapult. I don't remember <laughs> no, a theme song. I was which, like, he's honest, gonna know. Which honest, <laughs> I, Melissa, I'm sorry. <laughs> there might have been one. I know before Monkapult shows, I was I was very in my zone. I still uh-huh. treated it like an athlete, which is kind of okay. funny. Like, I was I was like I would I would stretch, I would jump, I'd get before super pumped before the improv show. <laughs> I would always wear. I, I had a, I had a bunch of Wu Tang shirts. I would always wear a Wu Tang, my lucky Wu Tang shirt. I'd get all hyped. Uh, like I bet you had the hottest girlfriend in college. <laughs> I was the coolest guy, man. Yeah, I, and I'm I'm sure those shows were impeccable. Oh, yeah. Mostly just a bunch of twenty year olds who are treating this like a basketball game, who are loud, obnoxious, with like a crowd of forty people. But I love it. it was it was a good time. What kind of improv guy were you? Because there's some folks who are like, they want to just trip. And they think that's funny. Or like everything is a sex joke. Right. Or they want to fake cry. Like, did you have a thing? (laughs) What was your improv thing? I mean, I think to begin with, you you got your crutches. Mm -hmm. I was was definitely, I probably was high status something. (laughs) I was like, I can make a living off this. I wasn't necessarily, I, I was big and lanky, so I would I would be a physical comedian. I like me some John Cleese, so yeah. big weird entrance, uh, being a little bit of a d- Okay. But I, I also remember the the improv cheat I would do is uh, if you really committed to a dumb object mm-hmm. in a room, you could get, a college audience would love you. Like, I remember... I remember being a tumbleweed in like a Western-inspired scene. Did you brawl around the floor? Yeah, and people really, they were, it really blew their mind. How much of that improv and that experience are you like directly using in the show? In a couple different ways. I would say what we've actually just started doing is uh, we've improvised a couple acts on the show. Uh, Really? Yeah, we've done a couple act twos that are literally the writers and staff 
uh, create call-in questions. They don't tell me what they are. And huh. I go out there and I just improvise in character and we huh. build off of that. Uh, as a mindset as well, like uh, use improv as a way to, to brainstorm and build off of stuff. I've heard a lot of people from the improv community, people I've worked with in the past, uh, which is a great way to build quickly. Mm-hmm. And then you flip off the improv brain, you become more of a stand-up brain where like you're you're into editing. Improv's great for brainstorm, stand-up's great for editing. Yeah. You need both in a day like this. So beginning of the day, give me that brainstorm improv mind. End of the day, let's think like uh, stand-up mm-hmm. and let's cut this thing down and get it precise. Yeah. Did you do stand-up? I did a little bit. I uh, kind of post-facto. I was an improv guy and a sketch guy and then when I got Daily Show... I started doing some stand-up on the road. I got opportunities that way, which was great. You, you, those are you pause two... before you said great. I mean, I think, like, <laughs> you grow up, like, you pick your team, and my team was improv, and there's the, the stand-up crews, and you're like, you're one or the other. Yeah. And you judge the other one. Uh-huh. I judged it for years. Uh, and then I finally did it. It's it's great. It's nerve-wracking. It's a totally different skill set. I'm so inspired by the people who are legitimately great at it. Mm-hmm. Um and it's it's good for your mind. It it really is a way that like you you have to boil down the funny. It it plays different than when an audience knows that you're improvising off of stuff. So mm-hmm. like, uh, I love it, but I'm a I'm a newbie at it. Give me the elevator pitch for your show at its start, and the elevator pitch for your show right now. Because I feel like some things may have changed. No, yeah, I think there's an evolution. I think okay. like the elevator pitch to begin with was. Um, you know, we are anti-mainstream, anti-establishment, anti-reality. Yeah. Living in the world of the fringe. Yeah. The Infowars, the Breitbart. And, the, and like your character was kind of based on Alex Jones of Infowars. Yeah. I think yeah. like that was a, at least partially where mm-hmm. we were taking the POV of Alex Jones and that conspiratorial paranoid voice of the, the fringe. Mm-hmm. And that was sort of our, our genesis mm-hmm. that I think you kind of fast forward to now and there's still a good amount of that DNA in our show, but mm-hmm. what has changed is Steve Bannon is no longer a part yeah. of uh, the White House staff. Like Sean Hannity has moved even farther right and is talking to Donald Trump on a day-to-day basis. And I think hmm. the point of view still is this anti-mainstream, anti-elite, but I think we're starting to draw more from, honestly, Fox and the way that they've gotten to the fringe faster than we thought they would. And but so, they still have mainstream numbers. Like the ratings are insane. The, the, they are. And that's that's the big joke of it all. Hmm. Like they see themselves as anti-mainstream, but they're biggest kid on the block. In the same way that Donald Trump sees himself as an outsider from inside the White House. It seems like that could be hard to mock some days because it is it is a really interesting psychology that you're describing right now. Yeah, I think like what we try to do and have fun with is it's it can be difficult, but it's also it's it is a blast because it's chaotic it's paranoid Mm -hmm. it's creating fires where Mm -hmm. there are no fires it's wars where there are no wars and so for us it's all about like let's look at those tactics uh using distraction uh creating a new enemies list creating false flags like those get to be our comedic tools so let's blow those things out so people can kind of see the uh the inner workings of the chaos that we're living day to day yeah well and also besides the politics and the psychology of the White House or of Fox News, it seems as if we've been in a two or three years where the news cycles are just insane. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it feels like the jokes just write themselves. I was... I was coming out here today and I saw this headline on Twitter literally that said, quote, 
a sinkhole on the north lawn of the White House appears to be growing. <laughs> That's a real headline. <laughs> there's a mole in the White House. No, literally, there's a there is a mole. Uh, yeah. it's an issue. It's it's a ground yeah. control issue. Like it just seems as if like the last two or three years have been totally whack-a-mole. It really ha- well, I think, and and now we sort of look through through this lens of this as a comedy and or tragedy or what is the difference? Yeah. Yeah. And so you do see these things right now. It's like, well, I. I I might legitimately fear more for the end of the world than I did uh, a year and a half ago. And yeah. so I see a sinkhole in the front lawn, and it, yeah. <laughs> it seems like doomsday is coming. Do you feel, are there equal parts of an urge to cover the White House's stuff and just, like, the wacky state of the world stuff? Do you try to do both evenly? Like, what is your breakdown? Because it's not just Trump. No, and it, we, we try to we try to get away from him wherever we can. Yeah. And I think that's where we let our... What we're satirizing be some of our guides. We check in Infowars. We check in Hannity, Laura Ingram, Judge Janine. Like those are that's what we're pulling from. I love that's Judge all. Janine. Oh, Judge Janine is so she fun. She's good. She is. She is good TV. She is all energy. <laughs> yeah. She is. She is a punch to the face every time you tune in. So we got, and I think like in our audience, I don't think knows a lot of those characters mm-hmm. in the, the deep Fox file that are mm-hmm. literally. Trump's go-tos. He loves Judge Janine. She's the one who actually gets to sit down and interview him. Mm-hmm. So we go to like what they're obsessing about. Mm-hmm. But we also know like we're in tandem with The Daily Show. And so if The Daily Show is covering a bunch of that stuff, we're looking for other stories that we can shine a light on and also other stories that our show can put through the machine that is our show, which like I am a character. I get to get weirder, more emotional. Like Hannity, I get to make a mountain out of a molehill. And mm-hmm. so sometimes the fun thing our show can do is like... Everybody's freaking out finding conspiracy in the large thing today. So let's find a really small story and let's bring that tactic to the small story. And we're showing, not telling. Yeah. And that's that's the fun part. Yeah. What was your favorite recent small story that you did? What was the small story you did? We, we do a segment on our show called I Don't Recognize My Country Anymore, which is like, just from the point of view of this character, anything good that happens. <laughs> what, what many people might call progress, our <laughs> character sees as the country falling away. Okay. And so there was a little bit of uproar over uh, cheerleaders who um, complained about not getting on the cheerleading squad. So a high school, I believe, in New Jersey had everybody be a cheerleader. Uh, you can't do that. I mean, this is and this is where it's like, <laughs> I, I get the frustration here. Like, it's like, okay, when you're that inclusive and everybody's included. Who and... will be popular then? <laughs> no, exactly. Need, there's a pecking order there here, is. for God's sakes. <laughs> So my character definitely saw this as, uh, you know, if you don't have jocks and nerds and those kinds of lines drawn, then what kind of America is this? All right, quick break here. When we come back, we'll talk about how Jordan grew up in Kalamazoo, Michigan, and how that affects his work. All right, BRB. Support for NPR and the following message come from Newsy, the TV news channel with honest, in-depth context on the stories that matter. Newsy is for people who aren't satisfied with getting only the loudest part of the story. Newsy delivers more, more context, more solutions, and greater understanding of the people and events that shape our world. Learn more at newsy.com watch. How much would you pay to avoid morning traffic? Why are plane tickets to Boise so expensive? I'm Cardiff Garcia, co-host of The Indicator. In every episode, we take on a new unexpected idea to help you make sense of the day's news. Listen every afternoon on NPR One or wherever you get your podcasts. Were you uh, 
I'm guessing you weren't a cheerleader in high school. I was not a cheerleader in high school. What were you in high school? I was a mock trial witness. Oh. I was a tennis player. Oh. I was a little bit of a, I was a math and science nerd. Okay. I was a Wu-Tang Clan fan. <laughs> I, those, that's mostly what I, I was, I was a Jim Carrey diehard aficionado. What's your favorite Jim Carrey movie? Uh, Dumb and Dumber. Okay. Yeah, Dumb and Dumber still holds up, still makes me laugh I love so the Truman hard. Show. Truman Show is great. I mean, I think like you have your multiple generations yes. of Jim Carrey. Truman yes. Show's unimpeachable. Yeah. But Dumb and Dumber, man, I saw that thing when it came out like five times in the theater and it still makes me laugh it's so hard. That was, that was like a sweet spot for me in, in comedy. Yeah. Until I like died inside and I found nothing funny. Like that was what <laughs> that I was, yeah. and there was like life and yeah. you know, I already loved him because he could talk out of his butt, which I thought was a really <laughs> unique thing. Uh-huh. Bernice Ventura. Uh-huh. And then he evolved to Dumb and Dumb, yeah. which is just a, a, a beautiful film. Yeah. So liking Jim Carrey as a youth, being a math and science nerd, mock trial, what has been the biggest influence on you in this show? I'm Maybe mock trial? I don't know. I don't know, like, if drawing the line from me in high school, like, it's all kind of in there, but mm-hmm. I also think, like, I think I'm a, a pretty different person than I was in, you know, in high school. I think I was, I was very curious, and I, I enjoyed comedy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I found improv soon thereafter in college, and I never really thought of that as a profession. Mm-hmm. I just thought it was something that I really enjoyed, and I think, like, that sort of opened up, I would say theater opened up for me in college as like as an academic pursuit mm. so it wasn't just like this is a fun thing it very much was mm-hmm. but like it was really a, an interesting way to view the world to be curious acting teachers who were encouraging me to to discover to like, what are your emotions what are you feeling you can have uh two different sets of ideas they could live in harmony at one point like mm-hmm. i started doing improv and when you are creating things out of nothing if you are an idiot that shows and so immediately it made me want to know more about politics want uh. to know more about history because uh. that would be a part of the things that i am quite uh, that i'm improvising that i'm commenting on and so like it was kind of an awakening in the sense of like i should be smarter and more curious at, up until age 20 i was just trying to go through all the hoops to hmm to be a successful adult and at some point they're like oh no there's there's things you can be curious about that will make you a better person yeah do you think a lot about Kalamazoo and Michigan when you're making this show like how much of home is in this uh I mean, home is in a little bit of everything I yeah, do yeah. I I'm not satirizing home by any means, mm-hmm. but I do think it's easy to get caught up in like a coastal POVs. And like mm-hmm. the gun special was something that I really wanted to focus on. It a wasn't coastal. more Midwestern yeah. values yeah. there. Uh, but if there's anything nice about the character that you see, that's probably Kalamazoo shining through. Okay. What yeah. were your parents about? What were they like? Parents are uh, the kindest. I say were as if were. Sorry. They're, they're, are. They, they are. They are okay. still with us. Uh, and they are they're incredible. They're so kind and thoughtful and smart. I think. I grew up a very lucky, lucky guy. Um, my my dad uh, is a salesman. He's a brick salesman in the the Midwest. Whoa! My mom, yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. That's so, the job that is existing still. It's and it's it's tough. Like people are, brick is an expensive uh, way to build, and it's the kind of thing that, as a salesman going around, people are looking for the cheapest answer to things. And when the economy hits Michigan and huh. people aren't building houses again, that affects people like my dad that and my family. like a hard job. It's a super hard job. Like, my dad's in the car a lot. He's driving around. So he's still doing it. He's still doing it. And he's he's the kind of guy who's he's great at his job because he knows how to talk to people. Mm. And, and the industry of 
sitting down, talking to somebody, building a relationship, building trust, like in selling brick, he goes to distributors and he has people he's worked with for 10, 15 years mm. and they have trust and they have that relationship. Yeah. Uh, but I know that's something that's becoming uh, harder and harder to do as times change. The internet uh, replaces face-to-face interactions and that's something my dad's always kind of battling with. Yeah. But um, but he's salt of the earth and like doesn't complain about it, works really hard, mm. supports his family. My mom is wonderful. She's held a bunch of different jobs. She works for the Kalamazoo Public Schools right now. Nice. Um, and she is so smart and so funny. I think I get my I get my sense of humor from my mom, mm-hmm. who is curious and so funny and is a, a talker, talks a mile a minute. <laughs> and I think I get my attitude from my dad, who's got like a great dash of sass and, okay. and, and snark. I love it. Um, but what they both gave me growing up, which was huge, like my parents and my grandparents just support through and through. They were at every single improv show I ever did. Well, because, I mean, so much of the usual storyline for people in comedy is like, my life sucks. Let's make it funny. Yeah. Your life didn't suck. My life didn't suck. I don't want to pretend that it did. I mean, you know, I've had ups and downs. I think mm-hmm. everybody pulls from those things that they're that frustrate them and they've had to battle against. Mm-hmm. But I think also the ability to perform comedy and, you know, for me came from a, a loving environment that allowed me to to stay curious. Yeah. So your parents are awesome. My parents are awesome. From what I hear, I, you... I wish there was a more dramatic story. No, but no, like, this is good. They're great. They're great. <laughs> they're, yeah. You should, you should yeah. meet Mark and Betsy. Yeah. They're the best. <laughs> your wife is awesome too. She works in the same field as you. She does. My wife is the best as well. I'm surround myself with the best people. This is the secret. If you surround uh-huh. yourself with the best people, you're gonna look pretty good. There you go. She is great. I we did comedy together in Chicago. We toured. We've worked together for years, and now she's assistant journalist on the opposition with me. So we. Uh, How does that work out? It's 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 a mostly a blast. Mostly. What's the what's the, what's the not mostly? <laughs> I mean, part? the only thing is like it's we are super focused on the show, mm-hmm. which is like it becomes your life. You yeah. spend all hours of the day you come home you still talk about that like where it probably sucks is when we're at home and we're still talking about Sean Hannity and sometimes we'll be like did you have any other experiences that we could talk about she's like no I was at work all day like, do you guys go to work together no I usually go in a little bit earlier okay. because I work harder than she does Oy, yay, take that <laughs> Um, but no, but it's true. You know, I'm just a much harder worker. What are you going to do? Well. Uh, <laughs> so I go in a little bit earlier. Uh, what is kind of the setup is the citizen journalist, uh, you can, we kind of all meet in the beginning of the day. And if, if Laura's not on the show that day, like assistant journalist goes and works on field pieces, works in the edit bay or what have you. So we don't see each other a ton throughout the day mm-hmm. because you kind of can work. Like the show is set up where if you're not on the show right now and working on the show today, mm-hmm. go off and try to make something yeah. <laughs> that we can put on the show tomorrow. Is it ever weird? I mean, like, are, are the folks ever like, well, of course your wife had that spot on the show tonight. Of course. I'd like to think... Th- I feel like the staff is pretty great with us working there. Uh-huh. Laura is unimpeachably talented and has honestly worked with me for 12 years Because oh, you guys now. were doing videos a lot. We were doing before. videos together. We toured together. She was my head writer on the Gun special. And I think that's the fun part about the show. My old writing partner from Chicago is a writer on the show. My newer writing partner who I worked with on reality TV and stuff here is a senior writer on the show. A guy back in Chicago who pitched me to host a live show uh, 15 years ago that Hmm. he was producing. Work, I'm surrounded by talented people that I've got to collect and work with for 15 years. So it's sort of like the story of 
getting to do comedy is in like this office space that I get to work in. So then if you work with your wife mm -hmm. and you're thinking about work all the time, mm -hmm. how do you get away from it? Like what is a vacation like for you guys? <laughs> what do you do to actually detox? You know, I come out to LA, we chat, on, we right. do some NPR chat. Uh -huh. About your show. About the show. This is, oh shoot, this is, I'm supposed to be detoxing uh -huh. right now. Uh -huh. On the smallest level, I... I walk New York, the greatest city on earth, and I go to an art museum and I try to not think about Donald Trump for an okay. hour and a half. Okay. I go to music festivals to try to just have loud music. You go to music, but I can't do festivals because I'm tired of standing up so much. Yeah? I want to sit. I mean, sitting is nice. Sitting is great. <laughs> but don't I you like, I like getting pushed. That's what no. I, I realized this like five years ago. Uh, I was like, I like going to concerts where I get pushed around. Like I like no. I like being just on the outskirts of a mosh pit. No, see, I, I'm always like, can I sit and have a bougie beer while I do this? I like. A good I don't bougie go beer. to movie theaters unless I have a bar too. <laughs> I can't do it anymore. I like that experience. Yes. But for music, I'm like, it's the closest thing to a sport I'm gonna get now in my older age. So it's like, <laughs> put me in something where it feels sweaty, it feels pushed, okay. it feels loud. I feel, okay. I feel, you feel like you're part of a mass. What do you listen to right now? Right now, uh, what am I listening to? Uh, I'm a big fan of Ty Siegel, uh, mm -hmm. a garage rock guy who is the the best. I listen to the OCs. Mm -hmm. I'm going to a concert to listen to Atmosphere up in Minnesota. Oh my goodness! Yeah, the rap, the rap. Yeah. Yes. Oh yeah. You know Atmosphere. I know Atmosphere. Love Atmosphere. <laughs> yeah. I got way into Minnesota rap like <laughs> 10, 15 years ago. And what's so great is like Atmosphere, the group, the rapper Slug from Atmosphere, like raps predominantly now about like being in his early 40s and like life in the Midwest in your 40s. And I love it. I love that too. And quite literally, the festival, which I'm so pumped about, is coming up this weekend. And he's going to be, or Atmosphere, the group, is going to be on one stage and Migos is going to be on the other Stop. stage. And I know Migos is going to be great. And I know all the kids are going to be at Migos. And but there's going to be me and like crying just hearing them talk about like what it's like to be 40s and feeling like fortunate in your life but still there's some pain i'm like oh get, that's what hip-hop has become today. yes yes migos is interesting because it's like i like them because they're having fun but i don't know what the hell they're saying <laughs> i think that in a nutshell yeah. that's exactly it yeah yeah <laughs> taking one more quick break here when we get back we're going to talk with jordan about how he might mock liberals brb <laughs> Support for this podcast and the following message come from Tito's Handmade Vodka, America's original craft vodka. Tito's is distilled from corn and naturally gluten-free, spreading the love one drop at a time. For recipes, videos, and more, visit them at titosvodka.com. Crafted to be savored responsibly. 80-proof Tito's Handmade Vodka, fifth-generation ink, distilled and bottled in Austin, Texas. What does it take to start something from nothing? And what does it take to actually build it? I'm Guy Raz. Every week on How I Built This, I speak with founders behind some of the most inspiring companies in the world. Find it on NPR One or wherever you get your podcasts. It's always hard to know who watches your stuff besides just like having the numbers. But in terms of your discussions on things like guns and gun safety, do you think the content that you're making is reaching the people whose minds you might want to change. I I mean I'd like I'd like everybody to tune in, and that's not because I want the world to be a better place. It's because I want a successful show and to be famous. So, <laughs> same, so, you know. So, there you go. so whatever I can do to do that, sure. Yeah. If we change the world in a good yeah. way, yada yada yada, good good good. But let's get eyeballs on the screen. Yeah. Um, I. 
You know, I, I, I think there are people, and when I've gone out and talked to people who watch our shows, you definitely have people who are progressive and on the left. I think what's interesting about a show like ours is because I am a character, because I'm not just mad, because I am showing, I've had conservatives come up to me and like, I don't always agree with what you're saying, but I can enjoy your show because okay. because I like an element of your character and you're able to attack some of these things through behavior and not through just anger, mm-hmm. which to me is a step. Like if you're, if you're able to see what I'm doing through that, then hopefully you're able to digest some of the things that we're talking about. And, and I hope through some of that, and I also hope through some of uh, a focus on these issues and not letting it pass, that, like, if we can keep it a part of the conversation, like, I, we're not out there really to change a ton of minds on guns. Like, the, the, the story with guns is most of those minds already changed. It's mostly mm. spur people to action. Like, mm. most of America already agrees that, like, we should do more. There's a checklist of, like, things there's, there's that che- Americans there's, agree on. There's like, there's, like, ten things when it comes to guns, and, like, eight of those things, most Americans are like, yeah, let's... let's like, let's, sure, let's, why not? Yeah, those people, sh- let's, people who shouldn't have guns shouldn't have guns, great, what can we do? Mm. There's, like, weird holes in the system that allow bad people to get guns. Yeah, let's block up those holes. Like, most people agree on that. Those other two things, we can debate, and we may never all agree on that, but those eight things we agree on, like... We just need people to take that and then put it into action. You know, uh, in thinking about audience and what the show is about, what would your show look like and feel like if it was a send-up of the extreme left? Mm -hmm. We've talked a little bit about that. Mm. I think the extreme left, I mean, it's funny. If you go super extreme and conspiratorial, we're in the same spot. You got your anti-vaxxers feel yeah. pretty close to <laughs> your birthers. Uh-huh. Uh, and I think we've, there's, there was a raw water segment that we kind of went all in on. Oh that Thank was, you for going in on that. Cause yeah, no water. Come on. I don't guys. understand. <laughs> I think it is good seeing that, that you're like, Oh, right. All of these fringes, we come from the same place. Mm. We're, 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 anti-people telling us what to do. There's there's mm-hmm. some gut feeling there. So I think wherever we can shine a light on the BS on the left, we try to do that yeah. as well. I think there's fun to be had with, if, if you were satirizing that, it's satirizing the paranoia and the, the silos that they build themselves into, the, uh, <laughs> the faux elitism that also creates those silos. Mm-hmm. I think that would be pretty fun to, yeah. to play into. And it would basically be, you'd start on... I think if I was to do that show, I would start on an idea and basically talk for 22 minutes without ever getting to an ending. Oh, so, yeah. yeah I think it'd <laughs> that's be like, the left right that's now. That's the left. It's like, oh, where is the ending? And, and another like, thing, and neoliberalism. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It could be fun. Oh, it could be fun. I think in terms of like, I'm I'm obsessed with like trying to find some way to unpack the current language and orthodoxy of the left. And there, there, is, there is a certain type of groupthink that, doesn't just say we're the group. It says if you are this, here's how you fit into the group. Mm-hmm. The gays think about this thing and they have mm-hmm. these thoughts. Mm-hmm. The blacks think about that. <laughs> the white guys better not talk about that. <laughs> you don't do that. There, there is so much. Um, there's a place setting to these tables. It seems mm-hmm. that is set by who you are, and I feel that more now than I did five years ago. Yeah, you say that the identity politics is, yeah, is, and like, is cutting up the yeah. left in a way that feels... And I think that both sides do identity politics, but the way that it manifests on the left is extremely academic and rigid. Yes. It's the, what is it, I'm, I'm butchering this phrase, the tyranny of small differences. I think yeah. the, the the new Roseanne debate is a fascinating one. Yeah. I'll admit I have not seen the new Roseanne. I, here's my thing. It's like, there's too much content. Yeah. Like, 
it unless I have to like there's probably two shows I watch for fun and the rest of it is consuming stuff for work because there's too much stuff. There's so much stuff. And I again Having not seen this new Roseanne, mm-hmm. like, oh, there's a show that leans conservatives that conservatives like. Great, that's okay. What are, are we that upset about that? It yeah. feels like there is this land grab that I worry, like uh, progressives and people on the left. It's like this is not your battle. Like, well, they also want the whole field. It's like exactly, you got a you can lot have of the one field. show that's not <laughs> like yours. Yeah, this is... <laughs> Maybe it is not your jam, yeah, but, like, it's God not for you. I mean, I, I do think that is a fascinating debate, and everything has to now be a war. Um, mm-hmm. You definitely see that on the left. The, the right is so much better at, like, clean, broad tribalism. And, well, and, and, like, they'll say, you know what? That guy's a winner. Go with it. Yeah, the, the evangelicals' embrace of Donald Trump is such a great example of, like, oh, we just... End goal. Winner. So, you know, thinking back to, like, audiences for the show and et cetera, your show, like a lot of other shows uh, in the genre, is consumed in pieces. People will watch a six-minute snippet and not watch the whole show. Does that affect how you make the show? I think we've had to adapt to the way people ingest it and also the way in which news is coming at us. Mm -hmm. So we have started to break this show up a little bit into shorter segments. I think mm-hmm. less to adapt to the internet element of it all, but mm-hmm. more to adapt to uh, being able to approach and attack other stories. Hmm. Because it is important for people to see context for us. I think that's the, that's the one thing you start to lose when you boil a 22-minute satirical show down to a gif. You lose some. You lose some. Uh, I would love people to watch the full context because I think, especially with a show like ours, where you want to know the POV of the character, like Mm -hmm. we want to be able to give you some of that context. So we have started to play around with it being uh, in a first act instead of dealing with just one story. Let's look to break it up into dealing with two or three, Mm -hmm. so that an audience can kind of get used to those rhythms. And then if it breaks up uh, for something that you digest online, you kind of get the it in its entirety. Yeah. What did I read? So you had a name for it, this ice cube tray or we something? We call it an ice cube tray. That's kind of Explain how we think of it. It's like, because uh, we were really looking at our, our first act with these eight, nine minute deep dives, which sometimes it it feels warranted, but a lot of times it's like there's so much happening right mm-hmm. now. Let's approach this. If we can say one good thing or have one good take on the story, great, because mm-hmm. it'll be around again tomorrow. Mm-hmm. So we really look at it like an ice cube tray. You have three little slots right there mm-hmm. for our three little stories. Yeah. Um, sometimes we think of it like, oh, maybe today it's more of a like whiskey ice cube tray, yeah. so it's two big ones. Yeah. Sometimes it's like, can we get four little ice cube trays in there mm-hmm. just so we can kind of approach the day with these small little bites that we look to make like, clear, clean, like satirical takes on them yeah. without having to overlinger and yeah. overtell the story. But either way, with all the ice cubes, you drink the whole show. You drink the whole show. What's that? Get drunk on our show. Yes, yes. <laughs> Your show talks a lot about the Trump White House. There are moves and shakes in that White House all the time. People are leaving and dropping like flies. I find myself quite often missing Sean Spicer? <laughs> Who have you been the most sad about leaving? Hmm, In part because you couldn't make fun of him anymore. Oh, man, that's a that's a great question. I will say, I like your answer. Sean, there was something, you kind of knew what you got with Sean Spicer. Oh, yeah. And he would just always give it to you. Yeah. He never came out one day and was like, everything's different now. He was like, I'm doing this 
every day. I'm just, I'm going to ram it, it yeah. through. I would say we had uh, the Mooch on the show last week. How was that? Scaramucci was on the show. He was great. He was somebody who, I think what you respond to with Spice was like, ah, I, I feel like I get that personality and mm-hmm. I understand the filter that mm-hmm. it's coming through. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and boy, that what a fun, I, character-wise, yeah, give, I give the Mooch a job back. So where's John Stewart? <laughs> John? I don't, I don't know. John, he's, he's, he's in the woods of New Jersey somewhere. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Does he like pop up? I mean, like, John I feel can- like all like in my mind, you and Trevor and John and everyone like get together at a secret speakeasy every few months somewhere in Manhattan or something. <laughs> Does that actually happen? I wish we had the free time to do okay. exactly that. Okay. <laughs> uh, I will talk to John every now and then. Like John got to swing by the show a few months back, which was like a total blast yeah. to have him come on the show and yeah. play around and and try to. Uh, try to mess me up as much as he could which was uh really fun to do yeah. and trevor's somebody who uh i stay in contact with and we'll, we'll we'll chat every week about stuff uh you know it's 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 good to have the people who have been through the fire so that mm-hmm. you can check in every now and then and they can tell you it's all right yeah. it's it's gonna be hot that's what fire <laughs> is fire. but yeah. uh you'll survive does he give you notes uh, I don't get notes. John, I just is somebody who I will talk to occasionally about stuff and is kind of mm-hmm. a, a nice guiding light. And at the beginning of the show was really helpful and kind of mm-hmm. talked to me about being a boss. Uh, and Trevor's the kind of guy that not necessarily notes, but just like his his take on what he finds funny about the show and the things that he thinks are uh, are working. And again, and also somebody who knows how to run a staff. And so mm-hmm. uh, the last time we, we hung out, it's kind of walking through that. It's like, what, what was it like six months in? Like, where were you on the how much time you sleep a night o meter? Yeah. <laughs> and like, yeah. And, and, and the, the chaos of your life a meter. How do you handle that? And he's somebody who's a pro at those kinds of things. Yeah. How many hours a night do you sleep? Well, it's getting better. Okay. Yeah. What does better mean? How We're many probably months? up in the five and six range now. And that's your better. Yeah, it's yeah, it's well, better. What was now. it like at launch? Well, let me tell you, it was we're probably in the the four, mm. the four. Like, you got a little bit of anxiety in there. Mm-hmm. You also have so much to catch up on. Mm-hmm. Did I say a little bit? Probably a lot of anxiety. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So a little cocktail of that. Okay. Um, and also. A cocktail of excitement. I think you wake up and you're like, "There's a lot going on in the world. Let's how do how do we jump on board with that?" So yeah. uh, you get more comfortable in your skin and, and comfortable approaching what a work day looks like. So yeah. I think with that, the bags under my eyes are uh, slowly dissipating. I don't see any. That's fine. Thank you. Well, it, it yeah. is radio. <laughs> so it seems like we find a way to chat every few months now. Will you come back in a bit and we'll talk some more about how things? Yeah. Are where do you think we're gonna be at two months from now? I hope to still have a job. Yeah, me too. Okay. Uh, if we're both still employed, Great. let's meet up again sometimes. Let's do that. Let's have yes. it. Two months from now, we'll talk about how cool it is to have a job. I love it. Awesome. Jordan Klepper. This was yeah, delightful. This was a blast, as always. Thanks so much to Jordan Klepper. The Opposition is on Comedy Central weeknights at 11.30. We're back on Friday, but not with our weekly wrap. I'll be out of the office next week, so we're bringing you a very special edition of the show. We taped it live in front of an audience last month in Chicago. I went there to talk with Samantha Irby. She is a hilarious author and Chicago native. She writes these amazing hyper-confessional personal essays, and she is currently on the New York Times bestseller list. We had a great time talking. Also had a special guest there who is not Oprah, but who knows a lot about her. All right, download that episode on Friday morning. We'll be back to our regular schedule next week. Till then, thanks for listening. I'm Sam Sanders. Talk soon. Talk soon. 